I was talking. Yeah, actually, I was talking to my union rep. That's uh threw my whole schedule off. Sort of. The unions are ruining this country. Yep. The union army. <laughs> yeah, the union army is ruining this uh, oh, southern country. I know country. the problem is. I was on this big, like, I'm on this, um, this inner, this grant project that involves people like in, that are kind of spread out across the world, right? And so they said, yeah, we need to open up like a, a Twitter account for this research that we're doing and everyone can have access to it. And I said, um, whatever happens, make sure that I don't have access to that, that Twitter account. And then everyone started laughing and they were like, Oh no, we're absolutely going to give you access to it. And now I feel really uncomfortable about whatever that <laughs> reputation is. <laughs> you have strong opinions. Hey, uh... But I don't really. That's a funny thing. Like, it, I think I have, um, I have a Facebook voice and a Twitter voice, and none of them are my actual voice. But I know the bit that I'm doing on Facebook yeah, and Twitter. Do you know, you know what I mean? Like you, you do too. You have, you have a Facebook yeah. thing that you yeah. do, right? Like I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a, a social very media strange thing. sort of Facebook thing that I do, and I think that um, it's kind of weird. Like it's so self conscious, but I don't know that it's more self conscious than mm-hmm. the rest of my life is. I put up a picture of myself very young recently, and that that's yeah, not saw, the sort of thing I that I usually do, but. I saw that picture and I thought, oh, there's a nice looking guy that's me. And I thought I'm constantly (laughs) struggling with how much I really can't stand myself. And so, Uh, and so having that, I was just like, you know, I'm just going to own the the fact that I actually looked at a picture of myself and felt something that was positive. And also, you know, I think we all go through the thing where it's, it's hard to forgive our old selves for all of the things that they lacked and all the rest, uh, uh, you know, um, a okay friend of, uh, a friend of ours, I won't mention his name because I don't know if it's cool to mention his name, <clears throat> but it was on it, yeah. uh, uh, Facebook and he put up a, a, um, uh, an old post, like, you know how Facebook puts up these memories, and his memory was him saying yeah, that uh-huh. um, uh, sexual politics is ruining discourse or something to that effect. And he put it up with mm-hmm. uh, a big mea culpa and said, you know, I used to be such a such an idiot or whatever. And I just think, you know... Mm-hmm. Why are we all talking if we're not learning anything and changing and um, uh, and all the rest? And and when I hear people talk about how useless it is to talk in social media, 
It's like, well, you know, it's like if we're not mm. making any difference in social media, if I didn't think that anybody ever listened to me or if I didn't ever listen to anybody else, mm. I wouldn't bother with social media. I mean, I learned tons from it. I think I've said right. before that I most right. of what I learned from social media is getting so invested in proving somebody wrong that I do a bunch of research and I find yeah. out a lot of stuff I didn't know and sometimes embarrassingly find out where I'm totally wrong. Yeah, that's one of the only useful things that I found is like, and that's I when I used to argue more on Facebook, which I've given up on. Um, that was like one of the main reasons I did it was because I wanted to look up stuff, and it was like, well, here's a good excuse for me to read like these five articles. Um, now I've kind of like I I think that I I used to argue on Facebook for a very specific audience that I feel like either the ones that I'm still friends with don't need to hear those arguments anymore, and then the rest I'm not friends with anymore, so it really doesn't matter. Like I don't, I don't think there's any use in it. Like I don't think it's really doing. We're that in much such a anymore. divisive age, you know. It's like I have a lot fewer conservative friends than I used to have, and actually, one of my friends who is a former mm -hmm. police officer reached out and just called me the other day, out of the blue, and oh, just really? wanted to talk. And I think he just wanted to touch base with me to remind me that he's a really decent guy with the right politics and everything else <laughs> at a time when he's under right. a lot of attack. And also to hear me speaking directly to him and not being, and not talking about cops in general or about police culture or other things that I've been outspoken about in social media that, uh, uh you uh, know, I think that's one of our problems we have is this inability to, differentiate between individual police officers, the motives of those officers, the culture of the police in general, specific police cultures, and mm -hmm. the institution of policing and what it has always meant to some degree and what it's come to mean in a lot of ways. And that stuff all gets rolled up into one thing. And I can understand why it's, uh, I mean, at the risk of sounding uh, uh, whatever, it's hard to be a cop these days, you know, it's like, um, um, yeah. Did you ask him if it was a secure um, line that you were talking on? <laughs> I did not. Uh, he's an older guy and he tells stories about being a cop and they tend to be, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of kind of interesting things about cop culture. I mean, I think that we recognize that when we have a million television shows about cop culture. Um, like they they do musicals, they sing on the uh, job. Uh, cop rock. Um, uh -huh. um, I think some of that was probably based on my friend. And um, yeah, some of them are really dysfunctional in their personal lives, but once you get them in the box, they're uh, yep, geniuses. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, they often talk in kind of like a, a kind of patter, like they're from a contemporary novel. Well, they, they tend to have a, a, the right word always, always on hand. Um, I still remember my favorite episode of homicide is where, uh, Andre Brower says it does, the smell doesn't bother me cause I don't let it bother me. And, uh, his partner said, uh, yeah, that's right, Frank. You, Henry Rollins, and G. Gordon Liddy. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I, I have to say, I haven't seen that. I, mean, I watch uh, Law and Order because I take comfort in its absolute formulaic structure. It's yeah, I think yeah. a lot of people. Uh, I don't think that that's what being a cop is like. I just think that it's, uh, and I don't watch uh, Special Victims Unit or the one that's all. Even though you starred on it yeah. for like several years. <laughs> and I don't watch the one that's about uh, sex crimes. I just watch um, basically Lenny Briscoe episodes are kind of my favorite. And oh, then, you know, yeah. other things that are those maybe are a little bit more complex, like uh, The Wire, as I love, which is arguably a cop show. It certainly is about uh, the line between um People who are cops for a living and people who commit crimes for a living. There is, I mean, I, don't, I haven't unpacked all of it. There's a lot of cop shows that I like that who have horrible, horrible politics. I used to love the David Caruso years of NYPD Blue. But, like, looking back on it, like, the, well, even at the time, like, the politics of that show are just terrible. Right. Like uh, like the cops are just burdened down by all of these rules and regulations and laws that they're asked to obey and that the real cops are the ones who who know that they kind of they live outside of that. You know, they got to they got to come down yeah. hard on people. It's real Abner Loima hours on that one. Well, there's yeah, the whole thing uh, that really I mean, it goes back before Dirty Harry, but there was this whole movement in popular movies that the spaghetti Westerns did more than anybody else, where suddenly there aren't good guys and bad guys anymore. There are different bad guys in conflict with each other. And I think that what happened to the American cop show and the American cop myth at that point was not that there weren't good guys and bad guys, but there weren't good methods and bad methods. And that when cops did criminal things, it was good because they were on the right team. And when um, right. criminals did um, illegal things, it was bad because they were on the wrong team and that you're not a criminal because you commit crimes, but you're a criminal because you are, you know, constituted that way in some sort of existential way. It, well, and if I understand the history of Dirty Harry correctly, right, it was it a David Milius film or uh, i don't remember uh, and didn't he write i think he wrote it with dirty harry was a crazy person right and then yeah would they put it out and people liked it <laughs> and liked the character of dirty harry yeah it was john uh, not david Millis, john milius is it john milius uh and terrence mallet <laughs> um, yeah. and yeah it was about like dirty harry's a psycho psychopath and it was trying to like show the dirty hairy psychopath uh versus the the um serial killer psychopath uh who isn't the 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 killer in that is um somebody famous is it garrick from ds9 is it a somebody famous plays a serial killer that i haven't i haven't seen it since i was a kid but, but that happens over and over again you know it's um uh the like um death wish was about someone losing their mind and becoming basically completely unhinged. And, but you know, it's, it's hard to say like how much was it intended to be, um, to glorify, um, psychopathy in the right cause and how much was it 
misconstrued by the audience. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, John Milius is a crazy person too. So I guess Andy Robinson, Robertson, Robinson, who played uh, Garrick. On oh, that, he was, he was Scorpio. Scorpio. Yeah. yeah. And he later on went on to be one of the greatest TV characters in the history of, uh, of television, uh, Garrick from DS9. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of like Chad and I have talked about that before, right? Like about how that's kind of like the Punisher in the comic books is in my reading of it is, um, you know, making an argument about Daredevil, right? Like, there is Daredevil's kind of uh, what Daredevil would like to be if he gave up on believing in things, right? But then somehow now Punisher is uh, heroic. Right, yeah, like in the Marvel, like if you read the comic books, like the Punisher is like nobody likes the Punisher. Like none of the, like Daredevil, like Daredevil hates the Punisher uh, because he looks at him as completely unhinged, you know, like maniac that... Uh, is just on the wrong side of like everything. Um, and, and even like Spider-Man, like spider, well, I mean, I guess like Spider-Man is like, yeah, I guess if you look at like daredevil as like the daredevil is trying to do everything right and everything, you know, to the best of the best. And he constantly comes in conflict with the Punisher. And, but now, yeah, like the, even like in later versions of like the comic, like when the, Punisher has his own like comic book series. He's like the hero and like, Oh, like his, just his family got killed. And so he got kind of mixed up. And so now he just goes around shooting, uh, shooting all the criminals with, uh, military, you know, military weaponry. Um, right. And is it worse? Like kind of an anti-hero? like, Oh, it's too bad that he had to, had to do that. Yeah. Um, like he's no choice like yeah he just he fell on his head like when he was in <laughs> he fell on his head when the when the mafia like tried to kill his family well, or, that's, that, you that's know, a really broken. popular trope in all of the i mean there's a there's a kind of flip side of that that i see a lot that's one of the things i might have spoken about before why i don't like tarantino or i like him less and less mm. and it's partly because he just finds somebody who you can feel good about watching outrageous violence be committed against him, like slave owners and Nazis and whoever. And then um, he unleashes mayhem on them. And that way we can feel okay about glorifying violence, about, um, about cheering when we see horrific and, uh, and uh, morally reprehensible things happen, but they're okay because they happen to people who have sort of forfeited their humanity. And I think that the hero who has forfeited his humanity is even, is even worse as a cultural trope. Well, speaking of forfeiting uh, your humanity, uh, should we get into today's episode? Yeah, let's, uh, let's do the... Let's all, let's all fit, forfeit our humanity and dive into this. Are you going to play the through, theme? Let's go through the gates. All right. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'm going to drop them in. Uh... I'm not crazy about playing them on here. I'm gonna, I'll drop it in. So with me, uh, this is Attica Shrug, the uh, podcast about um, politics and culture in the South. This week with me, as always, are Chad Watson. Howdy. Hello. And David Dykes. And I'm Wes Cheek. I'm, no one's in my office today, so it's very nice. I'm having a nice, quiet day in the office. Uh, but yeah, so today, um, my local fail son... Okaloosa County's favorite fail son, Matt Gates, has he has a real talent for making the news, and man, did he make the news this week. 
So I thought we should um, dive dive into it with his. Uh, I think it's probably um, going to go down as one of the legendary tweets of of all time. I think. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly how he he worded it. Uh, I think it was for all those wondering. This is my son Nestor. We share no blood, but he is my life. He came from Cuba legally, of course, six years ago, and lives with me in Florida. I'm so proud of him and raising him has been the best, most rewarding thing I've done in my life. So this, uh, this whole thing stemmed from an argument that Matt, well, not even an argument, uh, New Orleans Congressman Cedric Richmond was uh, talking about police mistreatment of black people in America. And Matt got really upset that Cedric Richmond um, implied that white people were incapable of having not white children which seems to be at the very best a red herring to, well, to the that argument. Wasn't what, he didn't uh, imply that at all it, yeah. um, but i think that okay. gates had just decided that it was time to play that card and so he saw this as an opportunity mm-hmm. and so he pretended 100% right. that's 100% right. yeah, 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 pretended to be, to upset. be upset and pre- and kept trying to force it into the conversation and uh was told right. by Richmond, I don't, I don't care who, what color anybody's children are. I'm not implying that nobody has yeah. um, uh, uh, black kids and all the rest. Uh, and then Gates wouldn't let it rest because he had uh, an agenda, not because uh, he was feeling some genuine outrage. Yeah, I think that's one hundred percent correct. He was trying to do that because I think you're right. He's had this on deck for a long time and was trying to uh, figure out when to put it out there. And I can say really quickly, as someone who is a a white person with children who aren't white, um, it has nothing to do with what Cedric Richmond was talking about at all, right? Like I didn't listen to him talking and thinking, "Oh yeah, I really need to, I really need to get my argument in here too," right? Because what he's talking about is something completely different, right? <laughs> completely different. Um, anyways, I wanted like a few things just because, uh, I want to talk about this because as I said multiple times on here, I'm from the same hometown as Matt. i have a lot of, uh, overlap. He's younger than me, but I've had a lot of overlapping experiences with him. We went to the same church for a little bit. Um, but I often get him confused with other kind of prominent fail sons we have from that period of time. There's a lot of realtors, people who ended up being developers who have the same fail son energy that Matt does that I get him confused with. So I don't really remember him particularly from that period of time. I, I remember when his political career was beginning, but so I wanted, there was a few points I wanted to make about this because I've been seeing how kind of national people are treating this. And I think they often get the Matt thing very, Matt Gates very wrong. Uh, not that I think anything positive of him, but they're, they're really wrong about him. And the one thing that's so annoying about this is that, like, whatever the problem is with this Nestor story is not about Matt either being gay or straight, right? That's inconsequential to the story, in my opinion. And I, every time that anything about Matt comes up, people either go to the rumors that he's gay or go to the DUI arrest. And I think that both of those are just missing the point entirely. So I just want to start out there. Like I, and like, it's very strange because I was kind of cruising some of the, the Northwest Florida Democratic message boards when this was happening to see like what people were saying. And it was like 60% like gay jokes, which is really annoying when it's the, the local Democratic Party. I'm shocked, I tell you, shocked. I, I know, absolutely shocked. Can't believe it. It happens a lot. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it is like, you know, if... Well, I mean, it even goes back to that, like, the uh, all the gay jokes about Putin and Trump, you know, like about, yeah. um, you know, like, why, like, why, like, why there's... Right. Like, that's, that, the, that's the, that the problem the with the relationship. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, I mean, and it, it's ridiculous. And it's just, it's dumb and it doesn't get anywhere. And, like, even the DUI stuff, there's something to the DUI stuff with Matt, but they always get it wrong. It's not that he, like, got it. Plenty of people in their lives have gotten a DUI. And it's really bad. I think it's a really horrible thing to do. But, um, but, you know, when you're just putting up a picture of Matt having a uh, his, his photo in, like, the orange jumpsuit, uh, his mugshot for his DUI, that's not the, the big part of the story, well, the right? Big, so the big we'll, part we'll of the story that. is that he basically got out of it in a way that nobody else He knows. got out of it in, like... That's right. And the, and the point is that, like, if he were uh, black and there was a photo of him, a mugshot of him, he wouldn't be able to run for office in Northwest Florida ever for any office. Right. It wouldn't happen. Right. But he's able to. That's the story. Not that he got a DUI. And so you just see all these drunk jokes, drunk jokes and gay jokes. It's like it's missing the point. Another one, this is not as big a deal as those, is that they always uh, depict Matt as being a frat guy. He's really not a frat guy. Like He is very much a First Baptist Church guy. And I think because a lot of people uh, from the North probably don't realize what First Baptist Church guys are, they um, interpret them as frat guys. But they're, they're a very different kind of subgenre of, uh, of guy. Um, and so the Gates family, the whole Matt Gates story is a story about his family who are an immensely rich and powerful political family who became uh, the big fish in the small pond, who became the king crap of Poop Mountain uh, in Northwest Florida. And that's, that's the story about Matt. And that's why all this stuff is frustrating. Okay, so this next part, um, I'm going to like run through a lot of stuff and, and jump in where you want. But like the point that you need to understand this begin with is is Don Gates, who's Matt Gates's father. So Don Gates is from Rugby, North Dakota. His dad was a uh, mayor of Rugby, North Dakota, was a state legislature. He was running for le- lieutenant governor of North Dakota and then collapsed and died at the state convention in 1964 of a heart attack, apparently while Don was watching that on TV. Probably not a good experience to happen, right? But So they were already a pretty big-time political family in North Dakota, right? So then... I don't know what Don Gates' kind of early years were. He went to Concordia University in Minnesota, but he ended up going to Troy State. So Troy State's in Troy, Alabama. It ends up being, especially for like South Alabama, Northwest Florida, it's a big filter for all of these kind of like developers and hospital administrators and kind of bureaucratic class of right-wing dumbasses come out of there. Um one one thing they do is they offer they do a lot for people on the GI Bill, so you get a lot of like retired military get their uh, MBAs and MPAs there. So I don't think Don Gates was ever military, but he for some reason he ended up at Troy State getting his MPA there, and then became hospital administrator in Florida. But he was not only a hospital administrator, he was a big lobbyist, right? And so he lobbied he lobbied the state of of Florida um, to get Medicare to cover. Uh, hospice care, right? So he was really big into getting hospice care. And he founded a company in 1983 called Vetus Healthcare. And they're now the leading provider of hospice care in America, which if you go down that that hole, that's a whole weird thing there too. Like how 
like hospice care in America is a big time for profit industry, which is disturbing in many ways in its own right. Right. But his, so Don Gates was kind of a pioneer in having in hospice care and in kind of the privatization of hospice care. And, um, so he, he'd founded this with two founders, two other founders, Hugh Westbrook and Esther Cauliflower in Miami in, in, around 1978, and then it turned into Vita's Healthcare later. But they, what they did, importantly, Gates was able, because of his political kind of standing, to get um, the Florida legislature to, to hand over hospice care to these for-profit industries and to legalize that. And so it gave Vita's Healthcare this huge head start into the hospice, privatization of hospice care industry, and they made so much money. They made tons and tons and tons and tons of money. And so in 84, they became for-profit. In 1992, they changed their name to Vita's Healthcare. And then they used to be Hospice Care, Inc. They changed to Vita's Healthcare in 92. And then Gates uh, bailed out in uh, 2004, right? He sold out. And they sold out to a Cincinnati-based company called KimMed, which is the owner of the Roto-Rooter company. They're the Roto-Rooter people. They sold out to them in Cincinnati for half a billion dollars, right? That's vertical integration right there. Yeah. You're always looking. If you're Northwest Florida, Cincinnati's the big leagues, right? You're moving on up, selling out to the Roto-Rooter people, right? So almost half a billion dollars they he sold out this company to. So this is that's the real I wanted to understand the real story with the Gateses. Isn't that Matt's good at manipulating media, Matt's good at being a politician. It's that Don Gates sold his company, this company in 2004 for half a billion dollars, right? So now, boom, a half a billion dollars coming in, right? So right after uh, well, no, let's jump ahead a little bit. In 2013, the U.S. Department of Justice filed a lawsuit against Vita saying that they'd been doing Medicare fraud dating at least back till 2002 when Don Gates was still the chairman, right? Um, he says uh, he didn't do anything wrong, but that he also wasn't affiliated with the company anymore. So conveniently, Don Gates was able to bail out with half a billion dollars uh, right when the company apparently started doing um, Medicare fraud. So he was able to kind of skirt out of this. Uh, and and these, al- but these allegations were from the U.S. Department of Justice. They sued over it. This was a big deal. And this, if you know anything about Rick Scott's uh, career before politics, this is right in line with that, right? Like just bilking healthcare, defrauding healthcare, and then somehow cashing out right before the consequences come in. Um, and if you look into the actual allegations, it's about overcharging for Medicare services. Like they would claim that people, and it it goes into the like the disgusting level of for-profit ho- hospice care in America, but apparently to get money from Medicare, it needs to be like a crisis, it needs to be like crisis care that you're being billed for. And they were saying that people were in crisis care when they were still completely functional and uh, able to do things. Yeah. Well, I want to think, I mean, I guess like, I, I remember this, I've read like, I've had a few people in hospice care, yeah. uh, but like hospice, I mean, it's like a big just scam anyway. I mean, not a scam, but there's a lot of, um, like, it's like people that get into hot, the hospice business are not like, it's a, it's kind of a scam business. Like a lot of like hospice, uh, companies are in, tr- are constantly in trouble and like not certified. And I mean, I think I read like a Huffington post article, like a while back that said like every major hospice company 
has been in trouble with like the U.S. government. Like, yeah, and it's one of those. I think it's point. not particularly well legislated and regulated. Either. I think it's that's it. I mean, I think that's too, it. Right? Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. like nursing homes and like hospice care, are, like the two. Yeah. And it's you know, with, um, and healthcare too, just because right. there's so much money in it. There's a new, or I think it's pretty new series on um, Netflix called Trial by Media. And it has an episode about oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Richard Scrooge. Uh, uh-huh. And Richard Scrooge oh, is yeah. a guy who just got filthy rich uh, in the healthcare industry and ended up in jail for it. But uh, um, <clears throat> it's a really interesting story. Um, uh, I won't go into it too much. People who are interested, I suppose, can watch it. But more. more yeah. But, and um, yeah. this will be in the clip. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to make a joke. I was just going to make a joke. Go ahead. Be serious. Yeah, it's a no joke show. No joke free zone. No, just that he, he, um, uh, I think that it's an under-regulated industry, like all industry is under-regulated in the South particularly, but all over the U.S. Well, and it's one of those depressing things about America, right, is like to get old and die in America, you have to go bankrupt to get any kind of care, right, unless you're... Unless you're lucky in some way, unless you're lucky like my dad and get a uh, permanent disability from Vietnam, <laughs> now that we can now we can rest easy and and uh, and know that he he can uh, die without going bankrupt. That's a kind of that's well, a happy circle back to the joke. What was that? Yeah. Oh. oh, I was just gonna say we could talk about it later when we do the plugs at the end. But uh, just uh, I got a project going on WatsonHospice.com. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you, just have, you mean you have a back room that's open for rent? You could have a spare bedroom. I got, yeah. Well, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. That's a that, that's my new hospice care company, spare bedroom in Texas. Yeah. I think that's a yeah. But yeah, I well, think that's I a that lot of people's too. end of life plan is to provide end of life care until they need it, and hopefully they will have saved up enough money uh, to be able to afford it. Right, yeah. right to die. Yeah. Yeah, and well, one of the claims that was made against Vetus was that uh, they were used aggressive marketing tactics, which is like, this is a hospice care. <laughs> die! Just die! Give us your die. money and die. Yeah. So, hey, I'm 47 years old. I feel great. <laughs> there's, um, in Miyazaki, where I used to live, there's an old folks' home that's built in front of a graveyard. <laughs> and me and Natsuki always joke about it when we drive past, like about their marketing plan, which is like, oh, out of your window, you can see your future home. Uh, yeah. But so they're accused of using aggressive marketing tactic, tactics and also pressuring their staff to increase the number of crisis care claims. So they're just submitting these claims over and over again to get billed for people who weren't in crisis. But so while Matt was, or not Matt, Don Gates was head of, um, of Vitas, this is where. This is where me and Don start to overlap. He became, uh, he ran for the, the school board in Okaloosa County, which is where I'm from. So in 90, 1994, he got elected to the school board <clears throat> as a Republican. Um, he beat the Democratic nominee, uh, Gene Long, who I'm sure I know, but don't remember. But he won big. He won like 69% of the vote. And uh, I was in high school, 94, 95 would be my senior year in high school. So he was on the school board when I was in high school. And here's the thing. He's generally, in my memory and in local memory, pretty decent. He was all right as a school board member. He could have been worse, right? He wasn't particularly horrible. Uh, and this goes along with, with Don Gates' general record is being a pretty middle of the road Republican for like, like 1980s version of a Republican. Like 
despicable for all the usual reasons, but not yet like a Rush Limbaugh uh, Tea Party kind of kind of guy. He was just kind of a normal shitty Republican. Um, probably would have done segregation as, if he could, but he wasn't like going to work real hard for it. Uh, so one of the one of the good things that happened uh, under his tenure was that he actually got a one cent uh, t- sales tax passed to like build new schools and, and renovate schools, which is to get a, a tax passed in Northwest Florida pretty big deal and he also in 1997 I, I was out of high school at this point but i remember this very well he handled this case pretty well there was the um vice principal at niceville high school which is where matt went to school so don's son matt was in high school at niceville um formerly boggy there was a vice principal who was recruiting kids from the school to be in his evangelical youth group um and it was a really really weird story like the the guy was getting people like he was having kids like get baptized like out at the park, I think, like in the bio at the park. And he was um, just like really recruiting kids from the school to be in his super, super evangelical church. His name was uh, Woolwine. Woolwine. I remember this case very well because I had relatives on the school board at the time, too. This was in the, the paper uh, every day. And so it should be said, Don Gates at this time is billed as a Lutheran businessman and Republican. So like Matt Gates is a first Baptist church guy. His dad is Lutheran. And so I think there's a little bit of divide here between this evangelical stuff that was going on. Um, but yeah, so, so this vice principal got in a lot of trouble over this. He got in trouble with the school board. Uh, and anyway, Don Gates handled that well and said, I have, uh, it's not right to make people who didn't share his views feel as though they were somehow second-class Christians as they were in danger of damnation. He said, I have received death threats from individuals who mistakenly believe the way to advance their own particular brand of Christianity is to threaten the life of someone who is a Christian, not of their particular kind. Now, of course, that leaves out everyone who's not a Christian in Niceville, but hey, we're used to that. Um, but, you know, he handled that well. And then so he ran for superintendent of schools in 2000. Uh, against the principal of Niceville High School. Matt was still going to Niceville High School at this point and apparently wore a shirt to school every day that said, Elect Gates, um, his dad. And this is kind of where Matt's kind of is becoming kind of the troll that we will know him as now. And so Don's whole career here is being built on that. He's winning really big, but he's doing kind of just normal public service stuff. And then he's running unopposed after he gets elected, right? So... This is one of the threads that I think is really important for people to understand about both Gates is that a lot of the times they're running with all, with little to no opposition for these things, right? And, and this is a failure of the Democratic Party in Florida, the Democratic Party locally in Okaloosa County, and like it shows how the Republican Party works in the area, which is it's just kind of a network of these. It's a good old boys network, and it's these same people who get elected for everything. Okay, so Don Gates decides to run for the state senate, and this is, and, and he gets there pretty easily. Uh, the the former state senator Charlie Clary uh, had term limits; he wasn't able to run again, and so. Um, so Gates is a, a primary against a big Pensacola Republican, Benson, who had a lot of family money, but Gates was able to raise a lot more money than her. And so then uh, he won pretty big and then wrote, I think ran against a Democrat who didn't have much backing at all. He won with 74% of the vote, right? Um, okay, so that's, that's Don Gates's career. And he ends up being president of the Florida Senate, the Florida State Senate from 2012 to 2014. 
All right. And so while it's interesting, there's an interesting side story here I want to get into. While he's president of the Senate or in the Florida Senate and president, the BP oil spill happens. Right. And we generally think of that as a Louisiana thing, but it was a Gulf Coast thing. Uh, in general. And there's a good article by Dave Dunwoody of UWF, our local NPR station in Pensacola, on this. But Don Gates campaigned or lobbied very hard in the state Senate that the Deepwater Horizon settlement money, a lot of it should come to the Gulf Coast counties in Florida, where the oil was drifting and that are reliant on tourism for, for the economy, right? So he he uh, pushed really hard to pass a bill that would go ahead and anticipate damage to the, to the panhandle. And he, he said, it is said that if the state of Florida itself were able to recover any economic damages from BP, 75% of that money, whatever it was, would go to the benefit of the eight coastal counties of Northwest Florida, right? So he's in there in the Senate campaigning for this in 2000s, 2010. So he's president of, of the Florida Senate, 2012, 2014. And then 2013, he sets up this legislation to create this this uh, entity called Triumph Gulf Coast, which will handle the money coming in. And so here are some names that are going to be familiar uh, to, to people. So Attorney General of Florida, Pam Bondi, secured a $2 billion economic damage settlement, which was declared by the federal court in New Orleans. So this gate says, this is the state's claim for damages arising out of the loss of tax revenues during and after the oil spill, Right. And then other Florida favorite, Rick Scott, signed, signed a bill, the Triumph Gulf Coast bill, that authorized the transfer of the first $300 million payment of the settlement, right? Okay, so an interesting thing happens here. Don Gates steps down. He retires from uh, the state Senate. Uh, we'll get to this later, but he is replaced by in the state Senate by his son, Matt Gates. Um, but he says that this bill is about the economy. This money is about the economy. Says, which are very, very important to parts of the economy. We have to continue to keep that going. But this gives us an opportunity for a lot more companies and a lot more success here. Now, when Don Gates retires from the state Senate, he gets appointed immediately to be the head of Triumph Gulf Coast and be in charge of the disbursement of the $300 million in BP oil spill funds, right? And so Gates said, I did not seek this appointment. Um, I heard a rumor that the speaker was interested in finding somebody who has some deep roots in Northwest Florida and who understands the purposes of this legislation. I welcome the opportunity. So that's his current job, right? He goes, he's, he sells out his company founded for half a billion dollars. Uh, then it gets charged with Medicare fraud. He sets up this legislation in the state Senate saying that the BP oil spill funds are going to go to Northwest Florida, 300 million, at least signed over from Rick Scott. He says explicitly that those funds are to not just help out um, people who are struggling or businesses who are struggling, but to start new businesses in Northwest Florida. And then when he retires, he's put in charge of the funds, right? Um, and also at this time, there was they, a lot of his backers tried to put him in being in charge of the University of West Florida as well as being the president, even though he has no academic background. Uh, as a master's degree from Troy State, usually university presidents are... are um, PhDs, uh, nothing, or terminal degrees, nothing like that. And he ended up not getting it because there were a lot of complaints. But this is the kind of power that Don Gates has in Northwest Florida. And I think that's important to understanding Matt Gates. All right. Well, I think it's also important to understand. I mean, life, life's what happens to you while you're busy making pl- other plans. Yes. Is that, are you quoting uh, John Lennon or Piebald? I think they both said that. Yes. Yeah. 
All right. So that, I mean, but that's kind of like the, the King crap of poop mountain, uh, big fish, small pond politics of the Gates family. Like Don Gates figured out how to make shit tons of money and then to control shit tons of money. And then that's where it all comes from, right? That's where all this comes from. And that's where Matt comes from, right? So you should take everything that he says through the filter of him from the time when he was very young, having a family that's worth half a billion dollars in an area of the country where half a billion dollars goes a long, 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 long way, right? Okay. All right. So now let's move on to Matt. So um, Don Gate, so... Matt is, okay, Matt's born, all that stuff, whatever, uh, went to Niceville, who cares, uh, graduated from Florida State, 2003, with a BS, I, I don't know if he was in a frat, I don't think he was in a frat, like, people talk about frat guy stuff, I don't think he was, I think he was big in student government, um, and then he went to William & Mary and got a law degree, uh, a lot, I don't know if you know, a lot of really conservative shitheads come out of, uh, William & Mary, um, also, John Stewart, interesting. Um, and so, so he starts out working at a law firm in Fort Walton, and I think it's my grandmother's law firm, not, not a law firm my grandmother owns, but the one she used, I think he worked at Anchors. Um, anyway, so he, he doesn't have a very prestigious law career. He filed a debt collection suit against an elderly woman, um, who couldn't pay her home care firm, who couldn't pay the home care firm owned by Matt Gates's dad's company. That's nice. He uh, his big case was representing a homeowners association uh, who were suing the county over where to place a beach volleyball net. Um, really exciting stuff. The PDFs available online. I looked at it. It's very Alice's Restaurant stuff. It's got most of the PDF is photos of where the volleyball net is in relation to the picnic tables. Um, he also his biggest suit was he sued uh, local uh, duo two professional fisher women who build themselves as the redfish chicks with an X after they absconded with a $50,000 boat belonging to a local restaurant that hired them to promote them. <laughs> so this is some uh, real Northwest Florida stuff happening, happening for Matt. And then, okay. So this is, this is the time period where this kind of infamous DUI happened with Matt. Right. And there's a lot of reporting on this. The Tampa Bay times did some good stuff on it. Uh, it was a Halloween. There was a place. It's funny. Like I hear people from outside Northwest Florida make fun of this. It's also funny in Northwest Florida because the place he was drinking is called the swamp. Uh, the Swamp was this kind of dumb bar nightclub out on the island. Uh, I never went there. Thank you very much. Uh, but he got stopped in his dad's BMW. Perfect. He's in his dad's BMW driving back from the Swamp. He got stopped by an uh, Oklahoma County deputy named Chris Anglin who clocked him going 48 and a 35. Right. So Gates, according to the officer, was kind of clearly drunk probably uh, was fumbling for his license and registration, had water, bloodshot eyes, staggering around. Um, and Anglin asked Gates if he had been drinking. He said no, but there were mouthwash bottles in the car. One of them was like drank, drunken and on the floor of the car. Um, and so Gates is a lawyer, right? So he declines any field sobriety tests and he was arrested and then refused the breath test, right? So if you refuse the breath test in Florida, that's a year suspended sentence on a license. Um, so here's the important parts of the story, right? Matt never had a, got a year suspended on his license, right? He did the things that would get you a year suspended license. It didn't happen to him, right? Um, his case was referred to Steve Meadows, the state's attorney, who uh, ended up not prosecuting it, right? Did not get the suspended license. Um, 
didn't result in any criminal prosecution, which could have completely been done to him under the law. Uh, and then the tapes from the incident somehow were erased and disappeared. The dashboard cam was somehow pointing in the wrong direction. Um, and then the officer who, who, uh, who had arrested him was forced to resign. Right. So this is the thing where it starts to get really fishy. And then Gates now cites that the charges being dropped are proof that he was innocent. Right. But the way this has always been read. And I remember when this happened, uh, I remember the talk around town and I was out of the country this time, but I've heard people talk about it was that, oh, man, look at Don Gates was able to get Matt out of this. Right. And that looks allegedly clearly what happened. Right. Uh, and this is around the time when you start hearing the nickname baby Gates, uh, Matt Gates is referred to as baby Gates <laughs> because Don, his dad is, is kind of pulling all the strings on this. All right, here we are through the DUI. All right. I'll try to wrap this up as quickly as I can. So here's another overlap with me. So in high school we had a externship program and I wanted to externship at the County commissioner's office. So I, my mentor was Ray Sansom, who is our local County commissioner, uh, super Republican guy, but like was always really nice and fair to me. I enjoyed working with him a lot. It was a really decent guy to me. And he ended up going to this, be the state representative um, for the Republican Party. Uh, and, and But then he was forced to resign in 2010 on corruption charges. And his corruption charges were that he was uh, trying to get more money in bills for our local university. Um, and then some of it was going to build a hangar at the airport in Destin. And it was connected to a local developer named Jay Odom. But all this is really big Republican politics stuff, very stuff that happens, right? So Ray Sansom has to resign on these charges. And uh, Matt Gates decides he's going to run for his seat, right? So Matt Gates wins pretty handily, gets this seat. His dad, Don Gates, said Matt simply outworked his opponents, uh, perhaps people gave it to his campaign, think he was a chip off the old block. Perhaps that helped. But I can assure you that he didn't get many contributions he could have because of the many lobbyists who didn't like me. It probably hurt him more than it helped. Uh, I'm here to assure you that being Don Gates' son did not hurt him more than it helped. Uh, he was running for the state Senate as the son of the president of the – oh, the state house as the son of the, the Florida State Senate, right? So um, – Gates gets elected, and then, as it happens with them, he runs for re-election unopposed. And so this is the one thing I want to press on to anyone who's listening to this um, outside of Northwest Florida, right? This is what happens when, like, your local Democratic Party completely just throws in the towel on everything, right? You see that Don Gates' career starts out by running for school board, becoming superintendent of schools, and then running for state house, right? And the Democratic Party's doing nothing to fight that and build during that time, right? So we have Matt Gates running for the Florida House of Representatives unopposed because it's easy for him because he's insanely rich son of a, of a powerful uh, state senator. Um, anyway, uh, and then once Matt gets into the, the, the state house, he's just a rotten, horrible person. He passes legislation. He proposes legislation uh, with some other some other state senators to uh, to accelerate the rate of execution of the 404 inmates on Florida's death row. Right. So Florida has a huge death row, all these people waiting on it. And Matt, um, you know, everything that we know that is racialized about the death penalty, that is, you know, probably innocent people being asked, everything we know that's flawed about the death penalty. Matt wanted to speed up that process. And his quote, his famous quote from that time is only God can judge, but we can sure set up the meeting. Right. So Matt is like a 26 year old uh, 
former DUI recipient who is working as hard as he can to make sure that death row is processed faster in, in Florida. He also, for some reason, was really big on mandating ethanol content and gasoline. I never understand all that stuff. Uh, he also got active on Twitter at this time, um, tweeting things like, yesterday I saw a lady at Publix use her access welfare card. Her back was covered in tattoos. Retweet if you support entitlement reform. Right. So uh, a kid who's raised with a dad with half a billion dollars um, is upset that someone had tattoos and was using a their their food card. Um, so he sponsored all this really conservative legislature. Uh, he sponsored a bill that would have local governments fine five million dollars if they impose any restrictions on guns. Um, also banned insurance policies created through Obamacare for offering abortion cover. Um, he was also, this is where he became really famous statewide was for, he was kind of the, the, the front person for, uh, supporting the stand your ground laws after Trayvon Martin's murder. Um, he was put out there. So we had a group called the dream defenders who were young, uh, black people from Florida who were really opposing stand your ground, talking about how racist it was. They, um, occupied the Florida state house. Matt was kind of put himself up as their opponent doing the kind of Ben Shapiro bit of, I will debate you on TV and prove that you are wrong, uh, young black people. He was really dismissive of them, a real asshole, announced that he wouldn't, um, he wouldn't change one damn comma of the existing statutes and say, said the only voices on Stand Your Ground are coming from the radical left. And he wanted an opportunity to give a full-throated defense of the law. So he was in charge of all the hearings in Florida about Stand Your Ground. Um, and nothing changed after it. And it was absolutely sure once he was put in charge of it that nothing was changed. That's why he was kind of put in there. He did, however, um, spearhead legislation that would keep mugshots of people who were charged with crimes off the internet until they are convicted. Uh, you might, you might wonder, he said it could be a problem for those unaccustomed to bullet publicity. You might wonder what Matt's, uh, stake in that was. So yeah, he's kind of a guy who suffered no consequences at all. All right, so I'm going to try to wrap up my my talking about Matt. So here's where uh, kind of overlap again. So Matt has all this stuff goes on. He gets kind of a big name. So we had been representative by this guy named Jeff Miller uh, in Florida, who was just kind of the usual dumb dumb Republican. He had been, I think, like a sheriff's officer, like a deputy, and then had like a real estate business, and then was in Congress. He was most famous for working with Bernie Sanders on uh, the VA, which was, you know, uh, results are mixed, right? It was the VA. He was working on that. And Jeff Miller had replaced Joe Scarborough. So Florida, Northwest Florida had already always been represented by a Democrat forever, but it was very much Dixiecrat Democrat. So we had Earl Hutto, who kind of hands it off to Joe Scarborough, uh, who hands it off to Jeff Miller. And here's where our story gets weird again, as I think both of you remember, um, this is 2016 when I was supposed to run for this slot. <laughs> um, thought I was running against Jeff Miller. Was kind of hyped to do it. Got a little bit less hyped as I began to encounter the depths of the Democratic Party in Florida and to be eternally disappointed in them. Uh, ended up, um, I always said that I would drop out if someone someone else would step up and run. Steve Specht, who Stephen Specht, who was a very good candidate, had been a veteran of uh, Afghanistan, was a local lawyer, uh, really good guy, um, ran. Uh, he ran against Matt, but this is the Florida first. And so Matt won with 69% of the vote. Again, he had had some Republicans running against him in the primary. But as you can imagine, this is Matt Gates running in Florida. He had tons of money. Um, he invested $200,000 of his own money in the campaign and he 
he was able to get in a lot of outside money. And so he just kind of rolled everybody. His his flyer that he just sent around when he was running, he's uh, he wanted to pass open carry for everyone. This is how it's phrased on the on the, the postcard he sent out. He wanted to kill Muslim terrorists and build a wall. Those were his priorities, right? Um, and then from there, I think we all know his his history. He went into Congress and has become one of the most obnoxious public figures of, I think, at least the last decade. Uh, so this is the story. This is that's the thirty minute backstory leading up to this Nestor business. But I think it's important to understand the context this is out of to say that Matt isn't just this um, kind of weird anomaly. He isn't someone with like a. It isn't the mystery of his his sexuality that is doing this. It isn't the the DUI. It's the entire power structure of like the Gates family locally that's enabling this. And then. I think, as David said in the beginning, that's kind of where this Nestor thing comes in, is it's something Matt's been sitting on for a while as he's going to do a gotcha on everybody and, and surprise everybody with the fact that he has a, um adult Cuban child who he has no paperwork on. Well, I, <clears throat> I think that there's a couple of things about him that are kind of interesting, like two what I consider good things in his... Uh, repertoire one of them is wanting marijuana to be rescheduled to schedule three rather than schedule one which would make decriminalizing it a lot easier and there's plenty of ways to think about how that might be profitable for him or how some he could have a lot of ulterior motives but it's basically a um it's basically i think a good political position and the other is, I think that the only thing that he's really come out very strong with about uh, gay rights is, and uh, there's a lot of things to read into this, I guess, is his uh, support of um, um, repealing Florida's ban on adoptions by same-sex couples. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think he's good at seeing at seeing which way the wind's blowing, right? I think he's right on both those things, and I think he knows that he it'll help him a lot to be right on both those. Things. Yeah, I think I think so. Um, but yeah, that, but he, you notice he doesn't he doesn't support freeing people who are in jail on marijuana charges, though. I don't. Oh, think. I'm sure he wouldn't. Um, uh, but yeah, to, to me, it was kind of interesting, like when I first heard this story about Nestor, the, um, uh, I guess we'll put son in quotes. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I thought what I think a lot of people thought, which was, well, I wonder what that relationship is. And then I realized right. that, um, unless I have some evidence to think that there's something insidious about it, I don't really care what that relationship is. Um, that that's, you know, to trot this guy out as sort of his get out of jail free card on um, um, supporting racist policies and bad bad police policy is, I guess, offensive. Um, and then I see the picture of the guy standing in a photo op with uh, Donald Trump Jr. and uh, his, um, we'll put dad in quotes there, too. Uh, I'm kind of curious. I, I, the The kid's mom died, and he was being raised by relations. Is that right? The way I understand it, yeah. and his mom in yeah. Cuba died, 
And then he said that, um, uh, and he says who arrived legally, and I found that pretty gross because it's like to be it's Cuban, Cuban because all you have Cuban. to do to There's arrive no legally from, is yeah. put a foot on yeah. the shore. As yeah. soon as you touch the shore, you're yeah. there legally. He didn't have to process. He That's didn't why have to sense. stand in line. He didn't have to get locked up in a cage yeah. for a while and separated from his parents. It's yeah. just like a dumb thing yeah. to say. But a thing that will play to his base, I'm sure. But uh, uh, And yeah, the apparently the kid has said that he's um, you know, I think he's 19 now, something like that, and that he's ready to face the public spotlight. And I don't know that he needs any public spotlight. I don't... Uh, like, I can't think that yeah, he has much sure. to say uh, that, that I don't take a lot of political right. advice from 19 year olds. Um, and he, his lived experience, I'm sure is interesting in a lot of ways, but also I think very much formed by who's helped him out since he got here. Yeah. And it's one of those, you know, if you know anything about Florida politics and this isn't so much a Northwest Florida thing as, as it is a South Florida thing, but like, uh, People who've left Cuba occupy a very important place in right-wing politics in Florida, right? And so, um, and, and there's a lot of people like that, right? That well, it's not, you know, Marco Rubio has that going on. Ted Cruz says it's not racist. I'm I'm Cuban. It's like, well, that's a very particular experience in America because, as you said, like you can be, you can be a Cuban immigrant to America and have gone through none of the. Uh, you know, formalities and kind of the trauma that other people who immigrate to America go through. You even go through, I think, probably less than like um, my wife does getting paperwork from Japan, right? Because if you set foot on American soil from Cuba, you're in, right? And so um, that part bothers me a lot too, because like, so let's say, let's say, uh, let's say you are an immigrant from Central America who is trying to escape you know, whatever horrible thing has happened to you in Central America, and you want to bring this kid with you that you've raised since they were young, who isn't actually your child, but who you feel you have that relationship with, but you have no paperwork on them, and you make it to the border in America, and you tell ICE, you know, or you tell whoever, you tell you tell Border uh, Patrol, uh, oh yeah, this is, isn't, I feel this person is my son. We don't have any blood relation, but I feel they're my son. How do you think that plays out? I'm guessing it doesn't. I'm guessing it. They don't say sure that counts. Probably not. But anyway, I mean, it's one of those things. It's like so cynical to me. And I think I've been looking at like the Oklahoma County Democratic Message Board stuff, and a lot of people are like, "Oh yeah, I know that kid." I mean, went to Choctaw. Choctaw is like my cross school, cross town rival high school. It's where my dad went to high school. He went to Choctaw. Uh, apparently, he's just a kid who goes to Choctaw, right? But. A lot of people say, yeah, oh, I know him from around town. Like, he helps out Mrs. Gates. Like, he brings her into the hairdresser. Uh, Matt's mom is, um, is, is paralyzed from the waist down, I believe. Uh, he helps her out. He brings her in. I see him around. He's a nice kid. I believe all that stuff's true. And I think it probably, maybe he's really close to the Gates family, and the Gates family uh, helps him out and took him in, which they can afford to do. They're, uh, you know, 100 millionaires. Um, and I think... I. I think Matt is one of the most cynical political people I've ever seen in my life. As I said before, like, I think if we were in a majority Democrat district, he would be running as a Democrat, right? I think he's just a person who wants to be on TV and wants to be in politics. But that he, I think he's been sitting on this, he's been sitting on this and think he's going to use it as a big gotcha because he thinks it makes, he thinks it is somehow 
uh, having a Cuban quote unquote son is this is the same thing as having a, as being black. Well, he's also, well, well, that was one thing was that in the uh, discussion, the, the conflict, I guess, with Richmond, he, he kept trying to change the word from black to, to not not white. white. Yeah. And in a very sort of uh, obvious way, because Richmond wasn't saying not white, he was saying specifically black, but also, um, um, right he sort of um, uh, plays at the edges of um, um, of almost QAnon stuff. Like he said that George Soros was sponsoring the immigrant caravans coming up through Mexico. Uh, it's not like he was, like mm-hmm. he hasn't been weighing in on immigration in an incredibly sort of conspiratorial and offensive way up to this point. And then... Uh, um, you know, when he said when he came in legally, that comes in the context of somebody who doesn't want other people to come in legally if it means um, asking for asylum in a completely legal way at the Mexican border. Right. Uh, yeah. So there's so this kid, Nestor, went to Choctaw High School, which is out on Racetrack Road because there used to be a racetrack out there. He used to race cars out there. There's a. Um, store across the street called the passionate patriot which which plays a huge role in local republican politics it sells like all the trump goods all the t-shirts they make a lot of the campaign signs for local republicans they're not just like a store with like a fringe store they're really involved in local politics they're big backers of matt gates he knows who they are um they support him he supports them they had a giant sign up across the street from choctaw high school where this kid nestor went to school that read i'm going to quote it to you illegal aliens or invasive species Uh, question mark question mark question mark question mark so what we're supposed to believe is matt has this son that he cares about who goes to a high school the son who's an immigrant uh a cuban immigrant where that signs across the street and Matt supporters have it up and it doesn't bother him and he never says anything about it. Right. I mean, well, yeah. That? Opportunism, I suppose. And also it, I talked about this before, but it show if you brought up one of Matt's big political allies locally is Oklahoma County Sheriff Larry Ashley, who said at a, um, a meeting uh, Democrats have a, like a nonpartisan meeting with any local office holder called the hoot nanny. Uh, Larry Ashley came and said that black lives matter was a terrorist organization. And um, people from that meeting were cause the, uh, like the local NAACP was at that meeting, right? People were upset about this and they went to the press with it. And when Larry Ashley was questioned, uh, he doubled down on it and said, absolutely. I mean that black lives matter are a terrorist organization. Matt Gates was asked about it. He backed up Larry Ashley, endorsed Larry Ashley for the election. Election, and Larry Ashley endorsed Matt Gates for the election, right? So Matt is completely complicit in not even like this can be construed as white supremacist stuff. Like this ab- absolutely on the surface white supremacist stuff that happens all the time locally. And then he does theatrics like this nationally. And kind of the frustrating thing for me is always like, why does no one ever look into this stuff? But it's like right there. These are his supporters. And you guys have all seen me post about it before. Like we have members of the local Okaloosa County um, Republican Party, officials of their party who post pictures of like um, people dressed as Colin Kaepernick in blackface and say, oh, I just thought this was a kind of a funny joke or um, county commissioner and big Gates friend and supporter Graham Fountain, who was in trouble for saying that like, uh, 
like Islam is not a real religion. It's like a terrorist religion and all this stuff and dressed as Sheriff Buford T. Justice and goes to fundraising events. Like you have crazy racism happening all around Matt and he pretends to not see it and then says, well, I am, it doesn't apply to me because I have unofficially adopted a adult Cuban man. Um, well, and wasn't he, he was like talking about the, Wu, he, he was one of the Wuhan virus people. Yes. Like they said, yeah. like the, the Corona COVID was created in a lab yeah. in like Wuhan yep. and unleashed yeah. upon us. Yeah. And like, you know, you can't win election in Northwest Florida being anti-racist. <laughs> you can't, you couldn't. Um, Joe and Joe, Scar- this makes me nuts about Joe Scarborough too. Joe Scarborough says now that he's on MSNBC that he never saw racism in Northwest Florida. What he knows good and well, like they're, signs up with the n-word on it around but anyway uh but yeah so that's the matt thing that's my take on it that's how i feel about it is that um the important thing to know about matt is not that he has questionable sexuality somehow or that he got a dui it's that his family is immensely powerful and wealthy and that matt is insanely cynical politician and political operator and remember that his most recent mentor in politics was roger stone Right. That's what you should think about. Like if you're wondering, hi, oh, I wonder what's going on here. His political mentor is Roger Stone. That should kind of settle it for you. I don't know. Yeah. All right. We'll fight. I'll fight him. I'll fight him anytime. Matt Gates. Okay. Well, anyway, if I'm Matt Gates, he's kind of just like a warmed over bag of McDonald's. He looks like a he's he goes into the like uh, we were talking about the other day uh, with david he's the he goes into the trump legion of people who have tons of money but still can't manage to dress well which i can't yeah. it seems like if you have hundreds of millions of dollars you could find clothes <laughs> that fit but it just doesn't, yeah. doesn't seem to happen but matt does have it you know he is an unfortunate looking guy um all right, so I guess that's our one hour on the Matt Gates controversy. It's turned into a big national controversy. Maybe this can help some people fill in some of the blanks on it. I don't know. Thanks for listening to me talk about Oklahoma County. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. You're welcome. Well, next week I w- I'm going to talk about uh, Claiborne County Sheriff David <laughs> Ray, who's currently being who's currently being indicted by the TBI. Um, he's currently, I think he's in jail right now. Is this now, an episode of Justified? Uh, it, it actually <laughs> might be. I actually, and, there is, and the week uh, after I that, could, I'm yeah. not going to talk about anything that's wrong in my town because <laughs> it would be really dangerous. <laughs> yeah, it would be really dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, well, actually, on that, I, I don't know how much I can talk about. Uh, I may have already said too much about David Ray. Uh, you can leave in the stuff about my brother. Just take out the stuff about David Ray. <laughs> what about the stuff about David Ray and your brother? Take that out. You, I can't, I'm not even going to say anything. All right. Uh, All right, everybody. Well, I'll see you next All week. All right. Thank you. No problem. God bless. God bless. Godspeed. God help us. <laughs> yeah.